All right, everyone. So as promised, we have Tim with us here today, and we are going to discuss Dune. Uh, there's a lot to discuss. We have seen the older film, which was released in 1984, and we've read the book. And I think we'll discuss the book first, and then maybe uh, we'll discuss the film later. So welcome, Tim. Thank you so much for taking time out. Let's discuss the book first. So how did you like the book? Oh my goodness. I read the book back in 1980, maybe 1985 or 86, and I enjoyed it. Um, but reading it again now that I'm over 60, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Um, reading it again now that I'm over 60 was a completely different experience. I can appreciate the subtlety of the suggestions that he's making about political. Uh, environmental, personal crises. I, I just, as an older man, I appreciate it much more. So I think this book is so famous in pop culture, and that's maybe a problem because many young people, teenagers, might approach it for the first time and not really be able to see it for how good it is. And I do think it's it's good quality literature. It's not pop triteness. But why? Why would you feel that the teenagers would miss out on the on the ideas that are shared? Life experience. I, I know. I know for a fact myself. When I was younger, I wasn't as connected to news events, to global events. I certainly wasn't so aware of of how life is difficult and how life's difficulties can shape us. So I just think coming to the text. As an older person with more experience behind me allows me to see it differently. It's more than just a story. It's it's, so it's, it's an observation of the human condition. Uh, well, uh, that's interesting because when you say that, uh, that you know the younger uh, readers will not be able to catch on all the catch on to all the uh, nuances that are mentioned in the book. I agree with that, but somehow I feel that you know these days we are living in a very different kind of a world. So what happens is that you know even if we want to we can't remain unaware of the environmental crisis and of all the political turmoil that's happening all over the world because the news is shared very differently now. So I think it's not only about not being aware but it's also about you know just the the mental state of being a teenager. You feel way more secure than than you would when you you know mature and uh, you, you feel that things are okay you don't need to care so so i don't know i'm just throwing uh, random guesses but but, uh-huh. but we look at greta and then she doesn't seem to be a person like that so so i don't know how how true i am with that yes of she's the quizach hadraj <laughs> yeah and i also do definitely agree with you when you say that you know uh, this is not just a commercial pop kind of a book Text. because that yeah. was the first thing that i noticed when i started reading the prose was so fine i mean like he, um, he he's building the environment he he is doing so much and that's such yeah. fine writing and this book how i was introduced to it was never identified for that and that was the first thing that kind of took me uh, you know um, by surprise that okay this i was expecting a lot but this goes beyond that you know i wasn't expecting this i was expecting so much but but this is still an add on and definitely the kind of philosophies and the kind of okay this is interesting tim so i was not able to catch on 
upon all the political commentary because i'm not probably that politically oriented that's why but i was very much able to understand and connect to the personal story arc that was going on and also to the environmental commentary and all of that so for the first reading that is what it was how for me and i'm, I'm after listening to how you read it for the second time i i think i'm going to pick it up again just when i have like kind of forgotten the book as much as i possibly can and and then i'll pick it up again and then i'll see how i respond to the text wait till you're 60 my memory is way more dull than yours so uh, so i'm going to forget <laughs> it soon in that you know i i called it at the time my my bus book mm-hmm. a bus book for me i have all sorts of different books you have kitchen books you have bedtime books and it was my bus book it was the book i read while taking the bus back and forth to work so Bus books really need to be something easy and shallow but this one doesn't I don't think it deserved to be a bus book. So it was definitely easy reading it and I could really pick up the pace while I was reading it. It was an easy read and I was able to catch on to what the author was trying to say mostly. So I think that the other credit again goes to the author that it's so well written and it's so mm. effortlessly written for that matter. It reads very effortlessly. I'm sure that the author has spent like years and years and years researching and and uh, you know fleshing everything out but so you you probably can throw more light on this so there's there's a lot of philosophy that they talk about in the book and there's lo- uh, there's a whole religion that they have uh, uh, developed so uh, i'm really curious to know what are the sources for that i could see certain things they were coming uh, up with from hinduism in terms of you know that whole bindu meditation bit it's definitely from uh, hinduism and and the buddhism and the various meditation techniques and all of that but th- but there is a lot of other commentary happening all over the book especially in those snippets which each chapter starts with any idea where they were getting those from no i didn't even i didn't even realize it was somehow connected to hinduism oh so the word bindu is actually a, a hindi word i was i was totally drawn by the the argument of how paul changes this the idea of the consciousness mm-hmm. and his consciousness came from his mother's training and from the spice i don't know why that felt so familiar to me but i think the the idea that for paul he can see the future but he can see all the infinite possibilities of the future can we connect that directly to the the old european debate from the reformation about the the, the will of god or what am i looking for determinism you know whether or not your future is determined already by god and if anything you do can change your future mhm mhm i think i just took this conversation into a, a direction we shouldn't go but that whole the center of the book and it keeps going back and back and back and back to that from the very beginning with paul's dreams and every few chapters as paul's ability his they call it mentat m e n t a t that human computer as he goes beyond the powers of a mentat and becomes a true prophet it's just it was just so fascinating for me to see how the future diverges and he never does know what the future will be it could be this path or this path or this path and then another thing i found fascinating was when his mother takes the water of life mm-hmm. and her consciousness merges with the consciousness of every previous uh, holy mother who drank the water of life so she's basically remembering the lives of so many and I, I didn't write down the number but so many generations of her predecessors their memories are still in her 
So I had that very delightful reaction to see how at that moment of her taking the water of life, her life and Paul's life took different divergences. She had all of those, well, yeah, I, I wrote it down, but I don't know if you could see this. Her, life of, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, just in terms of a diagram, she had the wideness going into the central point herself. Mm -hmm. So she had that whole past and she can't see the future. Paul, starting with his present, can see the future and the future is so many possibilities wide open. Okay. So he never really can see the future. He can see the possibility ahead. So it's, it's like that hourglass and Paul and his mother are at the center of that hourglass. Sorry, that's just how my silly works. No, that's very interesting. And also, Paul, talking about this, uh, this bit again of, you know, uh, uh, how they are symbolically representing uh, the water of life. And then you drink it and then you get the consciousness of all the people before you and all the mothers and the Bene Gesserit sisters and all of that. I think it's again mm -hmm. coming from Buddhism because they have this whole idea of recording the information and knowledge and passing on from one generation to another. And I think that I have a very strong feeling uh, that's what the source might have been. Also, this whole idea of, you know, multiple possibilities and all of that, we have seen it yeah. so many times now in all the Marvel Universe movies. I think they've overdone uh, it. I think this book, we were talking earlier about coming at this book from an older readers perspective i think this book has a lot more relevance now did you notice the um the author's um what do you call it, dedication at the start of the novel uh, i must have read it let me just revisit it revisit it right now and be surprised normally authors dedicate their books to their wives or their children to the people whose labors go beyond ideas into the realms of real material to the dry land ecologists wherever you may be, in whatever time they work. This effort as prediction is dedicated to humanity and admiration. Oh my God. Right? This effort at prediction. You know, I think more than, uh, more than uh, just a simple plain science fiction writer, he, uh, this guy is by all means has to be respected as a massive, massive, massive scientist mm. because uh, because he, he, it's not by accident that what is happening today is happening it's actually how he has seen the projections and I, now i feel that he himself was paul because mm. he 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 saw all these uh, different possibilities and he just wanted them to be avoided what was frightening for me was the extent at which the framen follow the um the science of Leet Keynes's father, and you only get this in the appendix, not the novel itself, that the Fremen want to reshape their planet so that they could have a water planet so that life is paradise. Because right now, even though there was some benefit seen by the Reverend Mother about living in the desert society as they do, it, it helps to make them wait. Excuse me while I get my notes. One of the benefits that the, the Reverend Mother says the Bene Gesserits know that the rigors of such a planet as Arrakis, with its totality of emphasis on the most primitive necessities for survival, inevitably produces a high proportion of sensitives. So 
there is something beneficial about growing up in the harsh environment. It creates sensitives among the Fremen. But as I said earlier, what scares the hell out of me was that the Fremen want to reshape their planet. The supplies of water that they have in their underground caves, those were from the um, dehumidifier machines, that they have secret dehumidifier machines collecting moisture out of the air. So their underground supplies of water are not natural, they're man-made. I think that was one of the nightmares that's supposed to follow from what I saw in a synopsis of the coming Dune books is that something starts killing the worms, the worms all start dying. And in the appendix of this book, you'll see the Fremen are experimenting with shaping the environment so that they create a poison zone by planting certain plants and bringing in certain animals. They're trying to create an ecology. And that ecology, when they don't get it right the first time, even the worms will avoid going near that area. It's toxic for the worms. So eventually Keynes gets it right and they start growing greenery in the southern region of the planet. And that's why they have to pay the guild to not put any satellites so that no outsider on the planet will see the greenness they're creating and suspect how powerful the framing really are. So just, just that idea that man can reshape the planet. And we both know from our real world experiences how quickly things can go wrong. Uh, later in the book, it says the Fremen, quote, had learned patience from men with whips. So you're leading us into another discussion there. This novel is a crit criticism of colonialism. The Atreides, the Harkonnen, the Emperor, they're all colonizing this planet and trying to subdue the Fremen. Yes, that, that's what I read it as well. And you know how, how capitalism... Uh rights above everything else uh, and you know how the, the presence of this one element uh, will by all means lead to the, the destruction of that place and so on and so forth what really beats me is tim that this book has always been looked upon as a very superficial pop culture sci-fi book and you know it's just now that scholars are beginning to understand them what they're saying decode what has been written but uh, but why was the book never given the respect when it actually came out I don't, I didn't know that that was the case. Um, my suspicion is simply that if, if, if that is true, I suspect it's just that the book was so popular that it fell into pop culture as a, as a meme of sorts. So, and I think a lot of that had to do with the film. But the film came way back in 84, which I can completely understand how it killed the book. It's like th that film is like this, this short course and how to kill a book in two hours and that's it. So I can see, I can completely understand that. But the book came out in 65 and we had a good run of almost 20 years before uh -huh. the film came out. So so, so why, why did that never happen? Because this guy himself was an ecologist, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't know. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. My, my suspicion is that something good ends up going into the, the popular memory as something more flat. Like, for example, I know somebody who um, on, on Facebook, you can actually see people posting Benny Gesserit memes, quotes from Mother, whatever, the Reverend Mother. And these are, these are left-leaning liberals who are quoting the Benny Gesserits. But the Benny Gesserit was an organization that was almost Nazi-like. So you see, 
maybe when something good becomes something famous, it starts reaching the territory where people haven't read it since they were teenagers. And if you read it as a teenager, you're really not going to see any of this greater depth. You're just there for the worms, battles, and the knife fights. Oh, I get so, it. That's where, yeah. that's where the book went off. Now I get it. Yeah. It's high so, on action, which killed the seriousness of it. But a lot of action uh, that happens in the book, you know, it doesn't happen on the page. It happens off the pages. And I was, I was really relieved and, and, you know, so I would say happy to know that the last battle sequence was not written. They just go, uh, my brother is here. And then the next page, you, you just see that, you know, what has happened. Chilling. Yeah. So, but it spared me of all the violence, you know, which I don't enjoy reading. So it, it, they straight away jumped onto the aftermath of the uh, of the battle, which which I thought is uh, is the relevant thing to look at, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. you do you do fight, you do kill, you do everything, but then what happens after that? What what is the outcome, you know? So so mm-hmm. I, I found that very uh, in place. Because I know yeah. a lot of people, especially uh, the younger readers, you know, they, they get so fascinated by the idea of killing and butchering and smashing skulls and all of that. It's it's kind of disturbing. If it's not meant for horror, then it's just violence, gore, and torture porn. See, horror is any well-written book, any well-written story will have a meaning behind it. You know, the, the horror, the, the violence, the gore, it's supposed... To, Sorry, if you don't. Sorry, but all the gore, all the it has a purpose for which it is being written. Like the other day when I was uh, asking you about uh, that uh, Edgar Allan Poe's uh, the House, oh, the the house of Russia, and I read it and it didn't make any sense to me. But then you uh, said that you know the what do we call live entombments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so that was a prevalent idea back then. So th- then it just made sense. You know, then the horror came alive for me. Otherwise, I was not able to just feel the horror because where is it going? Why? What? You know, it didn't make any sense. But so that I think needs to be in a well-written story. Uh, the, the book that I just mentioned, uh, The Dangers of Smoking in Bed. I read one page and it makes me think so much. It's not even funny. And the horror is also real. People are planning to kill other people violently and they go ahead and do that it's not just for the gore of it, it it's yeah it just tells you you know that it makes you familiar with human nature and yeah, uh, yeah. and equips you to to understand and deal with it so so that i think is the purpose of well-written or well-made horror yes. but there are certain so many examples which are just mindless mm-hmm yeah, that's that's one of the things I think is the purpose of good art is that it shines a light on what it means to be human, the human experience. And one of the reasons I love horror so deeply is that horror is willing to show us parts of ourselves that regular literary output may shy away from. In other words, it's not afraid to show us that there is a deep, deep darkness within each of us, that there is a, an unethical, possible, violent person within even the most peaceable man. Hey, you know, bringing this back to Dune, um, I just rereading it this morning, I came across the quote where the father and the son, Duke Leto and his son, Paul are talking and the father before they leave for Arrakis says that oh, problem with my notes. I have too many notes. He says, I'm tired. I'm mentally tired, 
the melancholy degeneration of the great houses has afflicted me. And then he goes on to talk about, he says something very cynical, like we use the spice to create a film base, the material to make film. And he says else, quote, how else could we flood village and city with our information? The people must learn how well I govern them. How would they know if we didn't tell them? So I guess what I'm saying is even Doom looks inside Duke Leto and shows us that here's a man who's forced by power and real world considerations to take actions that are ethically questionable, that are even morally questionable. So a sign of good literature, I think, is that it, show, it shines the light on what it means to be human. And it doesn't give us the shallow, one-dimensional hero. It, it gives us reality. Even if that reality is set in a, in a make-believe world, be it no, fantasy I, or science. I always you, prefer it in a make-believe world. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, your turn. I was going to say, or. <laughs> okay. I always prefer reality being shown in make-believe world because it, it gets later, a lesser backlash. You know, uh, if uh, let's say that we have a debate about the, the right wing people and the left wing people, you know, the minute I say right wing, the left wing is going to jump onto it. The minute I say left wing, the right wing is going to jump on it. And they're going to just go, no, we're not going to listen to what you say because, you know, uh, it, it's too real to be uh, understood and yeah. looked upon at from a distance. But but the minute you take it into a science fiction world, the minute you take it into a fantastical world or a fantasy world, you are automatically detached. And then when you talk about those ideas without using terms like leftists and rightists, it actually is talking about the idea and not the groups or the people who identify themselves uh, with those groups. So that's when you can actually understand, you know, what is what is right and what is wrong, what is working, what is not working, what is ethically suiting the times that we're living in and what is not. So that's why I always, always prefer such setups when it comes to storytelling but isn't that also partly the function of art yes especially? absolutely 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 but then again you know uh, we, we had these ideas and notions of having realistic art and realism and all of that so, so that's when we start coming out of those ideas and start pushing the boundaries to otherwise you know realism was an effective movement realism in literature is important too but the like you said placing your your setting in the fantastic allows you even more freedom to portray human reality. Yeah. No, and I completely understand realism has its reasons and uh, very strong validity as well, because, you know, there are certain things we just need to be, we just scream to be looked upon as realism and, and presented that way, you know, so, so uh, there, there's no denying about that. But then I think what, what I'm trying to get to is, a purist approach doesn't always work. True, true. My mind just automatically jumped back to Dune, where I think it was in the appendix. Somehow I really benefited from reading those appendices. It was in the appendix where Leet Paul's, um, forgive me, um, Leet Keynes's father is preaching to the Fremen about changing their world. And one of the things he says, I can't find it because I need the book. One of the things he says is that life gives rise to life. The greater diversity of life gives rise to the greater diversity of life. Yeah. 
it's just so but true. I, yeah, and true that, true then for literature and artistic output. But you know, I just feel that the kind of stigma science fiction and fantasy carried back in the 70s or the 80s. I, I think it's kind of disappeared over the years. Now we don't uh, see that. And, you know, I used to believe that the, the whole, uh, it was because a lot of books actually bordered between pulp fiction and sci-fi and fantasy. And because of that, uh, you know, it kind of didn't, uh, a book like Doomed kind of got miscategorized or, or yes, misunderstood yes. even for that matter. Yes. And yes. which beats me because the first page on, I was like, this is such fine writing. I don't know how people, and you know, I was listening to uh, some other podcasts and I was reading certain reviews, uh, older reviews of Dawn in which people had just gone on ahead to bash this book. They said the prose <laughs> was so bad and inferior. There was no sense of perspective or point of view. And it, uh, the, the, the author uh, didn't have any understanding or knowledge of how to write narrative or, or how to develop a perspective. And, and it was all over the place. And it was just wrong writing some some uh, people went ahead to you know uh, say all of that and i just don't agree with that as i mentioned in that video that i just posted yesterday if you pick up any epic yeah when, when will you find one person's perspective in that and the whole uh, definition of epic is it has to be multi-generational multi ethnicities you know all mingled together and coming up with this whole mesh which actually is infinite because even the most developed epics have very intentionally left many 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 stories unconcluded because they wanted the future generations to just weave on their own myths so i i didn't agree with all of that criticism Hmm. and i agree with you not agreeing going back to what you were saying about the reputation of science fiction i mean sci-fi started as pulp magazines and it was probably with the work of people like Ursula K. Le Guin, um, Octavia Butler. These writers brought it from pulp into higher quality literary production. Although in, throughout Dune, and that's, that's one of the key points of Dune about um, the history that preceded this novel. The Bene Gesserit mother tells Paul, once men turned their thinking over to machines... But that only permitted other men with machines to enslave them. The Great Revolt forced human minds to develop. Schools were started to train human talents. And the two schools that she mentions, the first is the Guild, which she says emphasizes pure mathematics. And the other school is the Bene Gesserit, which emphasizes, Paul says, politics. And she, she says, you know, you're a wise young man. What she says, it's, it's more to focus on the need, quote, the need of a thread of continuity in human affairs. And then this, the completely frightening thing about the Bene Gesserit, and it opens up very slowly in the novel, is that they're pushing a program of eugenics. This idea that you can breed a better human. Scary, scary, scary. Anywho, human intelligence. And I loved how uh, how the book really pulls you in with these things because, you know, it's not just superficial pop sci-fi kind of a treatment. We are talking about something very intense here. And that's why I just slowly uh, grew to be this huge fan of Dune and I just couldn't stop reading. And that's why I was so excited about, you know, this book uh, as long as I was reading it. The way this book 
talks about the idea of prophecy was something that blew my mind you know it was not just a simple prophecy that this will happen this will happen no they were planting yeah. it all through and over thousands over hundreds and hundreds of years and i found that yes. whole you know presentation so exciting that they have planned something thousands of years in the future and yes. they've set up their systems and they're slowly going to keep working at it and when the time comes when there is no chance of the people who actually planned it of being alive around that time it will happen and the machinery has been set so effectively that no one yeah. can stop it and now as i talk about this uh, i again have a feeling this sounds so buddhist in its approach and execution <laughs> that maybe the whole idea has come from there again i don't know about that but that was one thing that struck me as quite terrifying in this novel that the framen who we we know from paul's visions are going to become so powerful that they might lead a universal jihad if paul is not able to prevent it with his own life the framen are so controlled by outsiders it's really an imperial a colonial story first the benegesserit with their missionaries go in there and and start them with the religious belief and set up the whole system and it's done to protect a future benegesserit like jessica who ends up on the on the planet accidentally and the second thing was the ecologist we only see in the narrative leetkeens but in the appendices it's his father's story how the ecologist was able to influence the framen and get them both technologically stable they they have their own industries they create these the wind machines that um, dehumidify the air they they go into ecology and botany shaping their environment so that they can create a a water friendly environment just these two ideas are brought into the framen society and the framens themselves like the like the jews in the bible are exiles that the quote i just read they were shaped by whips so the framen themselves are not indigenous to arrakis but they are exiled to arrakis and they have become arrakis and yet they're so shaped by outside ideas and i can't help think about the history of the world and the capitalism communism christianity islam it's outside ideas coming into a nation and the people of that nation accept it and change and those ideas change the people it's something sinister about that but but you know what thrills me so much is that this one guy frank hebert he was observing the world and this is what was going on in his mind and that's how he just saw everything and that's how he just you know came out and wrote about it yes. so that 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 whole uh, mental activity uh, is something which i really find very uh, thrilling okay tim i think we should end our conversation here today because uh, there's so much more to discuss and uh, i'm going to discuss that again with you very soon so we'll do that next time and till then thank you so much for taking time out and it was such a wonderful pleasure talking to you and it was so thrilling to talk about this book thank you so much i just can't say how how good it is to talk with you again in this format yeah thank you so much we should do more of this i hope we will 
wish you all the best. Yeah. Ciao. Okay.